Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Tuesday, December 20th, the Rangers are in Pittsburgh. That's going to be a great match tonight, Dan. I know you'll be watching. This is Market Call, by the way. Uh, Guy Adami here. Dan Nathan, just the two of us on Tuesdays. Today's episode is brought to you, Dan, by CME Group. I love this, by the way, where risk meets opportunity. I love those commercials with Laird Hamilton. Yeah, he's Checking out the swells out there in Hawaii. It's great. And also, a fact set, not only our sponsor, fact set, but our data partner as well. And we're going to talk about the yen in a bit because that's the big story of the day. But before we do, how are you, Dan Nathan? I'm doing well. You know, it's funny, guy. Today, FactSet reported earnings. They actually reiterated their guidance for the full year. I thought that was kind of interesting uh, in a way. That stock is is really outperformed the broad market. It's down 15% of the year. So good on you, FactSet. Um, keep it up. Um, guy, you know, it's interesting. Overnight, if you pull up your fact set app, as I often do when I wake up and I pull up my iPhone, you saw what was going on first in the 10-year, and, and we'll talk about the kind of knock-on effects. I mean, you've been saying this for a very long time. The volatility that we see in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield um, is, is something it, truly extraordinary, and we'll get to the reasons why um, in a second. It's funny, though, you know, the knee-jerk reaction with what the BOJ did was, you know, yields up, stocks down. Right. And we've seen that trade before. And it's interesting if we look at the S&P 500 futures, this is a, tra- a chart we've been tracking for a while, rejected at that downtrend, the 200 day moving average. And, you know, to my eye, I mean, where is the support in this sort of thing? And you and I were left asking the question, how does the S&P find a near term bottom in December that it started out to be one of the worst Decembers in a very long time? Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, again, if you just look at the trend lines that we've been drawing now for a while, we thought it would break that steep uptrend line, and that's exactly what happened. So the question is, you know, how does it resolve itself to the downside? Is it a look back on the October low? I think that it is, and a potential to go lower. As you mentioned, you know, it's sort of unprecedented moves by central bankers, and the volatility in the bond market, again, in my opinion, is not particularly healthy. And now you're seeing it in the currency market as well. I'll say this. Maybe this little bounce in the S&P, and it is a little bounce today, is predicated on a potentially weaker dollar. So that headwind of a stronger dollar is has been mitigated and maybe will continue to be mitigated. But, yeah. you know, I think these rallies are feeble at best. You know, we've had 
couple significant sell-off days. The market's bouncing a little bit here. It's going to be, to me, fascinating to see how we close. And we're going to talk about this as well. I mean, all this could be moot, given what FedEx says today as well. So just a yeah. lot of cross-currents, a lot of things to discuss. Yeah, and look at the VIX futures here, the NAS, or excuse me, the NASDAQ 100 futures, if we look at this one, and just the relative guy underperformance, we've been highlighting this mm -hmm. for a while now. And again, we know those top five, six names make up 25% of the weight of the S&P 500, but they make up nearly 50% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100 futures here. And it really feels like they're on the precipice. I think Apple joining the party to the downside recently. It's gone from 150 to 130 in a straight line in a week and a half. And then obviously what Tesla has done, you know, Tesla is the sixth largest, um, you know, stock in the in the S&P 100 and, and, and also the NASDAQ 100. And look at that thing. It really feels like the mm -hmm. NASDAQ is going to lead to the downside, which brings us to we talked a little bit about the VIX last week. And we talked about, obviously, when the thing is down 20, 2019 or so, that's a great opportunity to kind of sell stocks and vice versa to buy them when you see the VIX up near 30 or so. Um, but it really feels like that this thing is about ready to pop, the VIX that is, and, and the NASDAQ's ready to drop. Yeah, Eric's on, on the chat saying the, the S&P filled a gap at 38.18. We can pull that up if you want. That, um, well, so just you know, that was Carter's level. He came yeah. on market call last Monday. He came on Fast Money. He said the gap was to 38.18. 38.18, we got it. So, But like to your point, you're trying to say, you know, how do, how do the S&P, how do the spoos put in a bottom here? Well, you know, technically that's one way to do it, right? Filling in a gap or so. But guy, rates going higher faster for reasons that have nothing to do with things that we can control would not be good for high valuation stocks right now. No, no, I, I agree with that. And listen, Amazon made a new Amazon made a new 52 week loaded. I think the price was 84.33. It has subsequently bounced, but think about that for a second. I mean, Amazon yeah. had a pretty significant bounce the last, since those October lows and it's basically round trip that. So to the point that we often make, these generals are really showing weakness. Now, I think to a certain degree that Amazon weakness today is being hidden by some of the other things that are going around, but don't discount that as well. And I think you're right. Rates going high, rates are not going higher because all of a sudden the economy is doing better. And we've said it a number of times. If you see a big move to the upside, that's negative. And to a certain extent, a big move to the downside in rates is negative as well. So personally, yeah. I'm pretty surprised. But, you know, maybe this is all part of this yen unwind. I don't really know what's going. It's hard to sort of connect the dots with this one. But I think all the things we're seeing in these other asset classes are sort of um, precipitated by that unprecedented move by the Bank of Japan. Yeah, and we're going to get to that. We'll get to that one second, but let's just pull up this ten-year chart. You know, we've been talking about it, contending with that three and a half percent level. And mine and your view with this, that was going to break, and it was going to kind of touch that, um, you know, rising two hundred-day moving average. You know, my position in the GOVT, which I've detailed on this program on many of occasions, I've been rolling it up. And, you know, frankly, you know, my position does not act well right here with this. And, and again, I'm in January calls at this point and they're looking kind of worthless. So I'm pretty much out of that trade. And to be honest with you, I don't really have a great view on that. I thought we did a good job getting back to three and a half. That was the mm -hmm. guidance that we had. You were suggesting doing it through the TLT. I think the TLT guy, before it reversed this week, hit your target. You know, you wanted to see it maybe get into the low teens or so. And you were kind of pounding the table 92.93. So that one worked out. Um, let's talk a little bit about what happened here overnight because, 
you know, the Bloomberg headline, yen surges as Kuroda's yield cap shock sparks normalization bet. So the, the Bank of Japan, okay, and Kuroda, who runs it, they've had basically a cap on how much, right, the, the yield could move in, mm -hmm. the, in the yield curve, that is, right? So they widened that yield curve. So why was the initial knock-on effect guy that, you know, the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury yield um, would rise? Yeah, it's again, you wonder what's behind this. I mean, obviously, the weakness in the yen, which has been his, again historic up until recently, had to be mitigated somehow. And this is the way they decided to do it. And again, I'm not quite certain what the move in our bond market is suggesting. I think, again, it's predicated on what happened here, but I'm having trouble connecting those dots. I mean, we'll look at the CME Fed Watch tool in a second as well. But 10-year yields got down to the levels you suggested, three and a half. I mean, I yep. guess that support held. And maybe to a certain extent, it's just people getting out of what they deem to be sort of weak long positions in terms of these instruments that sort of trade against yields, TLT specifically. But it's a head scratcher. For it. I'm telling you, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot this morning. I've been reading different threads and I, I can't really connect necessarily the dots between the two, but I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, um, you know, it makes sense. And it makes sense to pay attention and keep following this. And, you know, listen, one of the reasons we highlight Carter Braxton Worth, he joins us a couple times a week. We're very fortunate to have that. You know, sometimes when you don't understand some of the fundamentals or they don't make sense to you or it's not in your wheelhouse, sometimes the charts can be of mm -hmm. great help. And that's one of the reasons why we focus on these. Look at this chart that Carter had on October 20th. This was on Worth Charting. Um, of the Japanese yen, and you see that uptrend, and you see the arrows, and you see how every time it bangs up against them, you see a meaningful pullback or some sort of pullback here. Look where the yen is right now. This is December 20th, okay? Not only did it get rejected at that uptrend, but it broke the bottom band of that mm -hmm. uptrend, and now it's just falling apart here. So good job, Carter Braxton Worth. And, you know, again, he was obviously on the other side of the dollar trade as that started kind of coming in a little bit. So um, all interesting stuff. And it's one of the reasons why we use charts, a very, very good input to our broader thesis. Wouldn't you say, Guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, these are instruments you could trade on the CME as well. And look, if you're just looking for a trade, if you see where we are right now in dollar yen, we're basically down to levels that we bounced from late July, early August. And I want to say it's 131 and change. Don't hold me to it, but effectively pretty close to where we are now. So this might be, or let's put it this way. This should be a huge level of support for dollar yen. So if you're looking for the dollar to bounce against the yen, these are interesting levels. But again, think about the move we've seen since October. In two months, it's gone from like a 150 handle down to a 130 handle. It's, it's really pretty unbelievable. And this is just a dollar index just to show you the dollar in aggregate, this is the trade that you had on, a bearish trade in the dollar. And that up channel has clearly been broken. We're through the 200-day moving average, but we are at support now. So this is the levels in dollar yen specifically that the dollar should bounce and the dollar index more broadly the dollar should bounce. Yeah, matter of fact, and, and again, you know, we've been talking about your gold a little bit here, Guy, and it seems to That's be... That's what's... It, you talk about getting ready to party? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
Let's turn it. I mean, listen, you know what? You and I have been very subdued here, okay? It's, it's a Tuesday. It's just the two of us. We don't have a guest to kind of spice things up here a little bit. It's kind of one of those days, you know, the S&P is, I don't know what, up 20 bips. The NASDAQ is basically flat. Not a, not a hot, heck of a lot going on other than yields here. But, you know, your gold, your gold looks like mm -hmm. it wants to kind of break out. Now, I will say this, at the lows today or yesterday, it looked like it wanted to break down. And that's one of the reasons why when you think about some of the correlations between other risk assets on, on the macro front, that's why it's kind of really important to think about it holistically, which is why we love doing it Tuesday through the lens of futures. Here. Yeah, and we're going to look at Bitcoin in a second as well. But I would, again, what gold is telling you, I think, and I will say silver as well has had this very stealth rally over the last month or so. I think there's a concern, again, central banks pushing a bit of a panic button here. And I, I, I'm, I'm reticent to say panic out of the Bank of Japan, but there's clearly something going on. I mean, that's an, pretty much an unprecedented move. So we'll see. But I think that's why precious metals are getting a bounce. Now, I will say this, Dan, crypto should be bouncing more. Crypto should be bouncing, period. And it's really not. It's not going anywhere. And there's a disconnect there, too, because, again, my thesis in Bitcoin or crypto all along has been a way to play reckless central banks. And that's proven to be the case in terms of where it topped out at back last November. But, you know, now these central banks are seemingly struggling and sort of hitting buttons all across their dashboard. Bitcoin should rally. It's not. So maybe that gold Bitcoin relationship is decoupling a bit. I hate that term. But again, you're seeing that as well. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, I mean, people, I guess our, some of our, our listeners or viewers <clears throat> keep asking, you know, why we throw up the Bitcoin. I, I do think it's interesting from a sentiment standpoint. And, and again, you know, if it were to kind of break down, you look at these levels here, it's been banging along, you know, the bottom on the one year level, it broke below that kind of multi-month range. And now it's been doing the same thing, basing below that range. And in the, in, in the face of just the whole FTX thing and all the crisis of confidence that we're seeing, you know, you've said this, the fact that this thing is not, you know, trading, you know, eight, nine thousand or something is somewhat of a testament. But um, again, you know, I think retail has been really washed out of this asset. And let's see, you know, the bull case or one of the major pillars of the bull case was that wall of institutional money. And a lot of them really got the rug pulled from them in this, uh, you know, in this FTX situation. But I, I do think it's interesting to watch because, again, what are we doing today? We're highlighting the move in yields we're highlighting the move in some really important currencies you know stocks are not moving a whole heck of a lot here so if we were to see something like this start to move as a trader what about you guy i mean on my fact set screen okay i got hundreds of stocks i got different pages i got them segregated by different groups right by different geography i have different indices i have breakdowns um, within those indices of subsectors and i'm just always looking for things that might cause me to kind of look somewhere else, right? Like what is the thing that I can extrapolate for? So I've been doing that my whole time. So if you ask me, why are you still looking at Bitcoin? Because if something gets going in there and related names, it may cause me to look at something else. And I still know that a lot of very smart market participants have it on their main page. Yeah, look, I mean, it's an asset class. We have to look at it. Maybe we talk about it too much. I think, you know, whether it's on the network or here, but we bring it up because, Clearly, people watch it. And to a certain extent, I think it's a sentiment indicator as well. We're going to talk about Tesla. I mean, great call on that one. That continues to really trade poorly. And maybe, again, 
who knows what the correlation is. Is there a correlation between sort of the Tesla investors and the crypto investors? There probably is a bit of an overlap there too. So again, a really strange day. I will say this as well though. Crude oil, a name, a, a name, a commodity that you've been all over as well. That seems to have found its support level and getting off the mat here. And maybe we go back and test that downtrend line, which probably comes in with time decay around 84 or so. So a lot of really interesting moves. To, I, I know it doesn't seem like it if you just look at the broader market, which is basically nowhere. But when you look under the covers and look yeah. under the hood, you got a lot of really cool things going on. And I think the commodity crude uh, might have put in a bit of a short-term bottom. And you have been saying for a while you hated pressing that short and you were yeah. looking for a bounce. So maybe this is the environment that we get it. Well, you know, one thing that's interesting is like if you look at the XLE and the OIH, they look like they're trying to kind of put a near-term bottom in. They came off maybe 10%, OIH probably a bit more from its high. And, you know, it was showing pretty good relative strength to crude off of its highs. Um, you know, I'm not particularly bullish in, in either one of those. I think my final trade the other day on Fast Money was to kind of sell XLE. I start to, like thinking about how people are positioned. What were some of the big narratives in the year, you know, that was when I'm getting towards like the place that we are right here with a week, two weeks left in the trading year. And it really feels to me that people were overweight energy and crude related mm -hmm. names and the fact that crude you know has come back so far and i don't think it acts well like it might be trying to put in a bottom just above the 52 week lows i think you would easily say that xle and oih have tried to back and fill a little bit here and not far from their all-time highs they act much better as an asset class in my opinion much better but again <laughs> both oih which topped out again levels we saw spring june bit of a double top actually the same thing you put on negative you put on bearish trades to illustrate that and that worked yeah. out and i think the market is trying to figure out is the rotation in energy going to continue but where are you going to rotate into because yeah. again the high the high high um high excuse me high growth names high valuation names in tech are not trading all that well so the relative safety has really found itself in healthcare and some other areas but Crude oil, I think, did put in a bit of a short-term bottom here. I think the the equities have been trying to tell you that maybe we've reached a bottom as well. I actually continue to like looking at like an OIH from the long side, understanding a lot of people think, to your point, it's crowded and there's just going to be an exodus at, at a certain point next year. We'll see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned, like, <clears throat> what do you rotate into? And right now, I, I see, like, bank stocks showing really good relative strength. J.P. Morgan's only down 15% of the year. Um, the, the the Goldman Sachs and the Morgan Stanley, the more investment banks, down less than 10% on the year. American Express, which we've talked about a little mm -hmm. bit, that might be a canary in the coal mine for, you know, a higher-end consumer. But, again, only down 10% of the year. So there's some areas that have done pretty well. Another one, Guy, which you have liked, a lot this xlv this healthcare select it had a massive run off the october lows massively outperforming the broad in market and it was literally just a week ago guy testing testing those prior highs from the spring got hit pretty hard um just in the last few trading days and then the other one Consumer staples. I mean, look at the way like a Pepsi acts. You talked about um, their ability to pass through to the customer. Um, you know, some of these these input cost increases. I'm not so sure they're going to be able to do that next year. No, there's going to be. I mean, think about some of the increase they were able to pass on. When they talk about a Pepsi or General Mills, they talk about organic growth. That's effectively code for 
we've been able to pass on the inflation, the inflation problem we're seeing to our customers. So organic growth is just that. But to your point, they got away with it for a quarter or two. At a certain point, they're not going to be able to get away with it anymore. And that's that sort of, you know, how how vulnerable are those names in terms of margins? And I think that's what you people are going to start to deal with. By the way, the names you just mentioned aren't cheap stocks as well. So as valuation yeah. continues to be a concern, and if margins come under pressure because they can no longer pass uh, costs on the consumer, those stocks are probably vulnerable too, Dan. Well, yeah, here's a good one. General Mills, um, it's down you know, close to four, a little more than 4% today. And the headline, they reported earnings, and they said General Mills to raise prices again in early 2023, and the stock is down. But more importantly, the stock was trading very near 52-week highs. So investors have been crowding in these stories. The stock before today was up about 24% um, percent or so. And I guess what I like to ask myself at this point of the year, given the concentration and where money rotated out of some higher value um, sort of sectors, prior leaders, they moved to these areas that we just mentioned. So it's energy, it's staples, it's some financials, like banks in particular, right? And some healthcare. And so to me, you got to ask yourself, are those the names or the sectors that are going to act well um, next year? They might act well early next year because I got to tell you, if we want to throw up that NASDAQ 100 uh, futures again, the NASDAQ really feels like it's about to take a shit. And and so if you tell me that rates are about to move and be back to 4% in the 10-year, then I'm telling you that all of those major tech names that we've been talking about all year long, they got another leg lower. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's, that's sort of the point I was trying to make awkwardly before. I don't know at this point where 10-year yields are going, but I think if you're right, if your premise now is, or if your position is that 10-year yields are going to go back and look at 4%. I don't think you can be long any of these tech names at all because the tailwind they got in terms of yields going from 4.3 to 3.5 in the 10-year was decent, didn't really help the stocks all that much, but it helped a little. But I'll tell you that headwinds will come back a meaningful way. And if you think the NASDAQ is going to hold in a, and again, a rising rate environment, it's going to take out those October lows. I think almost by definition, it has to do it. And Tesla rolling over, Apple not trading particularly well. I mentioned Amazon made a 52-week low today. These are all things you have to take into consideration. Throw on top of that, again, names like NVIDIA that rallied close to 75% from its October low until recently. That seems to be rolling over as well. I, I don't know how you can paint that rosier picture here for the NASDAQ. Again, and that's not me being dogmatic. It's just me trying to read the tea leaves. Yeah, you know, we were on a call um, just before, and, and somebody mentioned without naming any names, um, you know, that Home Depot, for instance, their lumber prices um, are still up, whatever percentage they are year over year, despite the fact that lumber prices mm -hmm. are down. They're back, you know, to these kind of um, below the one year levels or whatever. So, you know, you've been talking about inflation. You said pesky and persistent. You probably said it 50 times over the last kind of um, 100 days or so. And that's just the perfect example is like once you're able to kind of raise prices, now granted, you have higher wage costs, you have higher shipping costs, there's other input costs. But when the, the underlying comes down, you're not so quick to kind of lower the prices, especially if customers are used to no. paying that. And especially if you bought that, if if the Home Depots of the world bought that lumber at the higher prices, they're not going to they're not going to hurt their margins by then lowering the subsequent price on something they probably themselves paid up for. And to a point, you get the clientele, you get the customer base, I guess, sort of um, 
it, they're what's the word I'm looking for? Comfortable with those yeah. prices or they're accustomed yeah. to those prices. And I know that's sort of a weird way to looking at it. There's no reason to lower them. So, and if, to your point, that's what we're seeing here. And that's one of the reasons I thought, despite the move in a lot of these underlying commodities, inflation was going to be a problem because prices go up a lot faster than they go down. All right. Matter of fact, all right, let's look at a couple of um, names here. They're reporting after the close. I think you and I both think they're really important as far as just kind of the broader mosaic about what companies have to say about headwinds to their business. What are some of the things that are kind of easing up on that front? Right. And is the dollar come in for a U.S. multinational like a Nike or a FedEx both reporting tonight? Is that going to be a tailwind? You know what I mean? Do rates, does that have anything to do with not so much, I think, with both of those names, but Again, I think, you know, disrupted supply chains. These are both issues, I think, with both Nike and FedEx. Let's take a look at Nike here first, Guy, because when I look at this one, we had a gap on its last earnings and it made new 52-week lows. And you're looking at a one-year chart right here. And, you know, after a couple trading days, it kind of found a bottom and then really just had this massive move, right, from the mid-80s up until that downtrend line, if you see it there. So, you know, it's been rejected at that line. It's actually kind of banging up against right now a little bit of technical support. You see that mm -hmm. rising 50-day moving average. But man, oh man, I mean, if they were to miss and guide down, and again, thinking about kind of Lulu had to say, and Lulu is less um, international, you know, reliant on a Nike. What are your What are your thoughts here? Because the options market is implying an 8% one-day move tomorrow in either direction. That's a pretty big move. All right, so you mentioned Lululemon, so I'll mention it as well. They had an 84% year-over-year inventory build against 29% sales growth, and they said they did that on purpose, which is complete bullshit in my opinion. I don't think they're gearing themselves up for that kind of inventory build without them affecting margins affecting them. So my point in bringing that up is people look at Lululemon and say they're one of the great retailers out there, and they were not immune uh, from the supply chain problem and for the inventory glut. In terms of Nike, and if you could put the chart up one more time, this is interesting. You know, if you, again, I use the word temerity a lot, but if you have the huevos here, I think you can actually buy Nike against this 50-day moving average and look for a move back to that downtrend line. If you're less sure, I think what you're waiting for is a violation of that downtrend line. You know, maybe this thing gets some legs, um, and we'll see. That 8% move probably puts us, you know, pretty close to – Exactly that, either that downtrend line or a look back to the October low. If you're trying to pick a side, though, you might, you might get an upside surprise here, Dan. We'll see. And if I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to talk about it on tomorrow's market. Call. Yeah, well, it's interesting. We have a five-year chart, too, here. And again, we know that this name is always you know, expensive to peers, not, not as expensive um, as Lulu. But you look at that kind of really well-defined downtrend the stock has been um, in since late 2021 here. It broke out above that after last quarter's bad news. And, and I'll just say, you know, that low in October – um, or, or I guess it was, uh, yeah, late October. So, I mean, that was like the low 80s guy. I mean, think mm -hmm. about where the stock is right now at 102. A miss and guy down, and this stock is headed back there. I don't mean in one fell swoop, but I think to your point, maybe the guidance for this quarter was low enough. Maybe they achieved that, and maybe the dollar and things like, you know, 
the the World Cup that we're just in and, and some of this other. Maybe, maybe it helps them. You know what I mean? So I think it's really hard to kind of press a stock like this. It's down 12% just in the last couple of weeks, right? So it's taken yeah. out some of that recent excess. Those are the levels. So, I mean, those are the exact right levels. And your point, although I find it interesting, the people that say Adidas or something as opposed to Adidas. Yeah. Messi was one of the few, I guess, Argentina, one of the few teams, I guess, sport Adidas. But that's neither here nor there. I'll tell you, this is the one that I'm waiting for because FedEx has been a disaster du jour every time they op- seemingly open <laughs> their mouths. And do we fill do we fill that gap up to 200? I don't think it's going to happen today. Or... It's going to be another disaster because the last few quarters, um, it's been really tough sledding for FedEx. A lot of it FedEx specific, a lot of the problems that they're incurring on their own, but some of it's macro as well. Yeah, I mean, here's one where the implied move about six and a half percent. I mean, this stock has obviously gotten um, you know killed over the last year, year and a half or so. It's trading about twelve times earnings, about a little less than ten times next. You know, fiscal twenty twenty four. We're in fiscal twenty twenty three right now. Expected to have, I don't know, man, like close to twenty percent earnings growth and yeah. sales and, growth. And to but- your point, I mean, it's always been valuation wise, you always were able to make a great argument for FedEx, and for a yeah. while it actually worked. But the last few quarters, you know, the people that got long the stock on valuation have been punished. So, again, it's a really hard one to – I think it's a hard one to handicap here. Yeah, no, and, and I guess the importance of doing it, um, you know, talking about both of these names is just – like, what do we want to hear? We want to hear about supply chains and, and how they're doing and how they're easing up. We want to hear about input costs as far as access to oil and the price of oil. You know, that'll be a big story with FedEx. We want to hear from Nike. What are they seeing as far as demand in China, right? As China begins to open up, are they going to tell a story over there? Maybe some of the things that like Nike, a, a consumer brand, was seeing in Europe, you know, in an inflationary environment earlier this year when, again, we we had this shooting war in Ukraine, right? Not far from a lot of their borders. Is some of that consumer sentiment starting to pick up a little bit? So again, I don't think, you know, I don't have a conviction guy either way in either one of these names to trade it one way or another, but I do have a strong interest in hearing what both companies have to say, because listen, if Nike says that we're having like, you know, a near-term blip again and they guide down and you see this stock in the 90s on its way, you know, maybe back towards October, at some point you got to say to yourself with a handle, I want to buy Nike because a mm-hmm. multi-quarter issue like this is likely to resolve itself in the not so distant future. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and and I think Nike's a great tell for a myriad of different reasons. Can t- tell on the consumer, tell on supply chains. Uh, tell on what's going on to your point in China. But FedEx to me is the one that that's where you can glean a lot of information about our economy specifically. You're obviously going to learn about how they operate, which, by the way, has not been particularly good over the last few quarters. So I am I am less optimistic in FedEx, let's put it that way, than yeah. I am in Nike. And I do think that if this plays out the way I think it can, FedEx could be taking a look at levels we saw not only recently in the fall, but, you know, as far back, back as the spring, that early spring of 2020. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, Guy, I think we covered a lot of ground here, man. I mean, we did it without a lot of fanfare, but it's kind of one of those periods of the year. where Strange day. Know. It's just a yeah. really, I'm telling you, it's a bizarre day. Market's trying to figure it out. Market was up big for a period of time, sold off, up again here. 
Yep. Still a few hours left in the day. Commodities catching a bit of a bid, specifically precious metals. <clears throat> and again, this currency volatility should not be underestimated. You know, the, the vo- bond volatilities we talk about all the time. We also talk about currency vol, and it's going to make its way through the market. This yen thing is not a one-day story. There are a lot of people who have gotten themselves extraordinarily off sides in this trade, and it takes a while to get out. And I think there's going to be far-reaching effects. That's just my opinion. All right, man. Well, listen, um, if you want to catch more of Guy Adami and Dan Nathan, tune in today at 5 o'clock on CNBC's, CNBC's Fast, Fast Money. Money. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Mel will be hosting. Yeah, I think uh, we got a we got a couple of guests as well. I think Tony, if I'm not mistaken, Tony Dwyer, Tony Dwyer might be coming on as well. I, I love Tony. I haven't seen Tony in a while, so that'll be Well, fun. that's it for they, Dan. That's it for today's market call. It, I apologize. I had a, like a frog in my throat the whole show. <laughs> want to thank, obviously, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Obviously, a huge sponsor for us, as is FactSet. They're also our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday, with the yeah. great Carter Braxton Worth. Yeah, just one quick note, though. No frogs were, were hurt in the uh, making no. of today's market no. call. I just no. want to be really clear Excellent about point that. By you. Okay, all right. All right, guy. I'll see you later, buddy. See Thanks. you later. Bye.